So um, I get to talk to you this morning, and I am so looking forward to this. This is a story about Jesus calling his disciples, and it involves fishing. And, and most people are familiar with this story, particularly if you've been in Sunday school more than a couple of months. And especially if you're over 35 and you attended Sunday school for more, more, more than a month or two, you have probably seen this story acted out in vivid flannel, right, on a flannel graph, right? But I'm excited to share this with you because there's stuff that, that I got to um, glean from it in studying it that um, I never thought of before. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, this will be an encouragement to us about what, uh, who Jesus is and what he has in store for us and what he expects from us as well. So um, if you want to turn on your Bibles, go ahead and turn on your Bibles. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 5. If you have an analog Bible, you can actually open it up like this. If you do not own a Bible, by the way, if you've never had a Bible or you don't know where your Bible is, at the welcome table, we hand out free Bibles. We would love for you to pick up a Bible on the way out. We're going to be in Luke, which is, if you're new to the Bible, if you open the Bible about three quarters of the way to the end, and it's going to say Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke is right there. And then the chapter is the fifth chapter of Luke. So I'm going to read through this to start out with to make sure that we're all on the same page. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but their fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when they'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night long and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story and pray that uh, you would open our hearts and minds, that we'd be able to glean something new from it, that you would uh, better equip us this morning to do the things that uh, you have on your heart that you would uh, speak to each and every one of us. I pray, Lord, that uh, I would get out of your way, that you would just speak through me, and uh, that we would leave today closer to you than when we came in. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know there are fishermen here, so I have to make a confession. Confession is good for the soul. I hate fishing. All right? I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. It's not my fault. It's my father's fault. He sentenced me to fishing for about the first 13 years of my life. Um, the low light of the year, the highlight of the year, depending on who you were, was we spent two weeks of the year um, sentenced to uh, camping at Lake Isabella in California. And every morning before sunrise, I was forced to get up and walk the Dead Man's March down to the marina, which was ironically named Scotty's Marina. It's very ironic. And we would rent this pathetic little wooden um, boat with an even more pathetic outboard that went on the back. And we would plod along this giant lake and um, stop occasionally and tangle our lines and, and sit quietly. My dad had convinced me that uh, fish have amazing hearing. They can be heard from miles away. 
because I thought the fish had amazing hearing, but now as an adult, I'm pretty sure that he did that so he didn't have to hear me complain about sitting in the boat on this hard seat. So I hate fishing, but I promise I will not allow that to affect the uh, teaching today. I envy people who fish now, by the way. I, it looks like a great you know, excuse to be outside, but um, it still has a sore spot in my heart. So um, I believe this story is less about God proving his divinity and more about the transformation of Simon. And just to kind of give you an idea of what's going on, the, the setting for this story is Jesus is involved in his ministry already. He's done some, some teaching and some miracles, right? And he has already met Andrew because Andrew met Jesus at Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. And he told his brother Simon all about Jesus. We know this. And we know that Simon has had some dealings with Jesus because he actually healed Simon's mother-in-law at Simon's house. So they are not strangers at this point. Um, it was very common at the time for uh, religious leaders and political leaders to have disciples. That was very common, that they would seek out men to follow them. Um, what is uncommon about Jesus is the disciples he called. It would be more typical for a religious or a political leader to call men that were influential or wealthy or well-educated. And this was not the case for the most part with Jesus, and particularly this one where he's calling you know, blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth kind of guys. So that brings us back. We're going to go back to verse 1. So it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Most of us would know the lake better as the Sea of Galilee. It's the same body of water. Um, in Greek, it translates to the Garden of Riches, and we have a picture of where the lake is. We look at Israel's like this, and the lake, the Sea of Galilee is all the way at the top, and this is the Sea of Galilee, and that red circle represents where he is speaking. Okay? And it was actually, you know, it's in the desert, but the immediate surroundings of the lake would be very lush, very, very green and very lush. And what we, what we see from this is the people were crowding in. It says the people were pushing in, they're crowding in. So that tells us two things. One is it tells us they're, they're anxious to hear the word. They're, they're invested in Jesus' hearing, right? They want to be exposed to what he's teaching. It also tells us that they don't really respect him. They may respect his teaching, but they don't have the respect that would be typical in that culture because in that culture, you would leave a buffer. You wouldn't crowd right up against somebody who was teaching. You would leave a buffer zone. So we know that, that they're interested in what he has to say. They have no idea who he is. They're not giving him any um, deference to being a, a man of God or even giving him any respect. But the people were hungry to hear what he was going to say. And it continues, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. So these two boats, one would be owned by Simon and Andrew, who were brothers. The other would be owned by James and John. We have a picture of the boats, an artist rendering of what the boats would look like. Boats would be about 30 feet long with about an eight and a half foot beam, uh, middle, and it would be about four and a half feet deep. They would have uh, a deck at the bow and the stern. And we know that they look like this because about, I don't know, 30 or 40 years ago, they found one of the boats buried in the muck at... Uh, when it was low water. So that's actually a boat from Jesus' time. The boat would uh, travel, could be propelled by sail or two oars on either side, and it would have a crew of five, and it could either carry 10 passengers or about a ton of cargo. And we know from the story that these guys had an unsuccessful night of fishing, and they pull up on the shore, they would be tired, they're, they're, they're cleaning their nets, they're getting their nets ready for the next night's fishing. You see, in the desert, 
hot desert like this, you would fish at night because during the day the fish would hang out where the water's cool down at the bottom, and then at night when it would cool, they would come up to feed. So it says, Jesus getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. So again, the people are crowding into Jesus, so much so that he's backing up to the water's edge. He doesn't have any place to go. So he says, well, I'll get in this boat and the natural acoustics of the water. You know, when you talk over water, it carries. Plus, there's an, um, in this particular area, there's a slope up of the, of the shore where it forms an amphitheater. So Jesus is using that. But what's interesting as far as Simon goes is here he's intentionally involving Simon in his ministry. Right? He's asking, hey, is it okay if I use your boat? So this is good. We'll come back to this in a minute. So he sits down and he taught the people from the boat. It seems kind of weird. All right, why would he sit down? Well, at the, again, at the time of the culture, they would sit to teach. The teachers would sit to teach and the audience would stand. So the teacher would be sitting, the audience would stand. You can imagine how much shorter sermons would be if, if I was seated and you guys would have to stand. You guys wouldn't, because I'm going to only go like 90 minutes, maybe, I don't know, two hours, something like that. You wouldn't put up with that, really. No, we're, it won't be that long, I promise. The other interesting thing is, um, remember the last time that we heard of Jesus teaching like this, actually the, the first time in his life, he was 12 years old, he goes to the temple, and he amazes the PhDs in theology, right? Jesus, the 12-year-old, goes in there, blows the doors off of these really learned religious guys with his understanding of the things of God, right? But here, 18 years later, he's speaking in a manner where the, the unwashed masses are, are pressing in, right? The common people are drawn to how he is teaching. And I think what it shows us is that at that time, the people were very thirsty to hear the word of God. At this time, I believe, our present day, people are very thirsty to hear the word of God. People say, well, no, they aren't. We not in Washington. Washington is one of the least church, I think it's the second least church state in the union, right? Now, people here are very spiritual. If you ask most of your neighbors, almost all of them will say, yes, I'm very spiritual. I'm not religious. I'm very spiritual. People are interested in hearing the truth, but it has to be presented to them in a way that's approachable to them, right? So if we can present the gospel to people in such a way that we can break through to them and, and put it in terms that they can relate to, I think people today are just as hungry as they were 2,000 years ago. And Jesus used different methods presenting information to people depending on the audience. I think we should as well. It continues, and when they had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, that is pretty presumptuous, right? This guy is a fishing boat captain, and a carpenter comes over and tells him how to fish. Now, I don't know, you guys that are expert in something, everybody in here is an expert in something. Have you ever had somebody who's not expert in your field tell you something about your field? annoying right crazy annoying when somebody would come in and say well you know you you may consider that's how to set tile but uh you know i read a magazine article once and what i found is uh, it's this way that would be crazy annoying for an expert fisherman to have somebody who knows nothing about fishing in his eyes to tell him this and these guys would be tired right they've been already working all night right they had an unsuccessful night working all night they're they're tending their nets getting ready for the next day i wouldn't want to be bothered and this I think it's typical for us as people that so many times we rely on the expertise of men rather than the expertise of God. So many times our default is falling to the, over to the things we know, right? We think, well, 
this is how we've always done it, or this, it's been proven this way, this is how this guy's doing it, rather than seeking to see if it's divinely engineered by God. And I could say this because pastors fall into this more than anybody, I think, because there's always some guy with a big church that is selling a book or a seminar or a blog or some kind of training telling us how to do church, right? And I think it's very tempting for us as pastors to fall into that idea that we're looking for man-inspired efforts rather than Christ-inspired efforts. So in, in every aspect of our life, we need to be trusting Jesus first and foremost and leave the quote-unquote experts second. It goes on, Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night long and took nothing. Again, I can relate to that ex- response, right? Look, we've been out. There's no fish. Now's not the time to go fish. We fished last night. There was no fish. It's morning. I don't want to go out there again. And Jesus knew that they toiled all night. That would be a common scene for fishermen to have brought their boats up in the morning and tending their nets so they can send them out fresh the next night. Simon does use a term, master, which is translated as gifted teacher. And that term is only used, again, by Jesus' disciples and by lepers seeking healing from him. So, why is Simon pushing so much back on this? Is it just that he's being annoyed? Maybe. Maybe he just doesn't want to go to the effort, right? He's already got everything on shore. His crew's out. They're probably grumpy. They don't want to get back in the boat. The nets are all squared away. I don't, you know, the line, come on. We got everything set up. Everything's coiled neatly. We're ready to go next. I don't want to go. Or maybe he doesn't want to be embarrassed. I was thinking that you know, Jesus had completed his teaching, so there'd be a crowd at least mulling around there, and they would think, well, I wonder what he's going to do next. So he starts engaging this fisherman. He wants to go out with this fisherman. Simon's thinking, no way. All these people are here. They're going to know this isn't the time to fish. I don't want to go out there and be embarrassed in front of all my neighbors. They're going to think I'm crazy. Going out in the morning to fish in the desert, that would be nuts. We don't know. We don't know everything was involved in his decision. All we know is he didn't want to go. But... He said, at your word, I will let down the nets. Simon doesn't understand who Jesus is yet, right? He knows there's something special about him, but he doesn't know who he is yet. But he does obey his command. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. These would be really, really big nets, about 100 foot in diameter, They'd be weighted on one side and floats on the other. They would cast them out. It would take the crew of five to pull them in. It would be back-breaking labor, right? So what can we learn from this? I love it when I go and hear teaching, when somebody gives me something I can walk out with. You know, I can make my little note and say, okay, here's what we can learn from this. The first thing is this demonstration contrasts Jesus' power over the helplessness of those he's calling, Right? These future disciples, they don't know their disciples yet. It, it's demonstrating Jesus' power over their helplessness. It also tells us that we need to go where the fish are, right? Jesus tells us to go where the fish are. We need to listen to Jesus' instructions. And if we rely exclusively on ourselves and don't listen to Jesus, we very well could be missing tremendous blessings on our ministries and our vocations. If, if, if we're ignoring him, if we're seeking the expertise of men, we could be missing out on some tremendous blessings. And finally, when we depend on God, there could very well be chaos 
in the midst of opportunity. We depend on God. There could very well be chaos in the midst of opportunity. So many times we pray for something. You know, we pray for a healing or we pray for some kind of blessing or we pray for something not to happen, right? And it does, or we don't get what we want. So we ask for X and we get Y. And that's it, you know? If, if you're like me, then I'm going to pout. You know, God didn't give me what I wanted. I, I asked. I asked really nicely. I asked in desperation. I asked on my knees. I asked in the car. Whatever I asked for, I didn't get it. So I ignore what's going on here, even though that thing could very well be the blessing, a blessing in disguise. There could be something coming, whether it's chaos or pain or something being removed from us. This could be a tremendous blessing. If we're not in tune to God and what he's doing in our lives, we could be missing it. We could be missing it. I think the main thing from this segment, though, that we can learn is that Jesus knows Simon's business better than Simon does. Right? Many times, I think that we, we think of Jesus as, well, he knows all about heaven. He knows about heaven. And he knows about blessings, and he knows about miracles, that stuff he knows. He might even know about fishing, because we see a story here about fishing. He might know about fishing, but he doesn't know about X, whatever it is I'm good at, right? He doesn't know about the things I'm expert in, right? He knows about heaven stuff, and he knows, he knows about healing, all that kind of stuff. We're the experts in what we're experts in, right? No. This story shows Jesus knows more about fishing than we do. He knows more about finance than we do. He knows more about selling than we do. He knows more about teaching than we do. He knows more about raising children than we do. He knows more about the trades than we do. He knows more about writing code than we do. He knows more about technology, engineering, art, manufacturing, science, politics, and fashion than we do. Jesus is the expert. He also knows more about our marriages, our struggles, our temptations, and our fears than we do. If we don't take advantage of that, if we don't pay attention to his promptings, we are crazy. This is an expert at our disposal. We continue. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So remember, each of these boats, each of these boats holds at least a ton of fish. So we know that there's a minimum of two tons of fish coming on these boats, right? And you can imagine what Simon's doing right now, what's going on in his head, right? He is the master of his boat. He is in survival mode. This is, his boat is in jeopardy. The nets are tearing. The boats are going to sink. This is his livelihood. He is going around yelling at people, pull on that line. We need to move this ballast. Let's try to get him up this way. Come on, we got to really scramble for this. And then all of a sudden, he stops and he realizes what's going on. It's not just fish he's drawing in. He realizes what's going on and what it means. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Picture that. All this chaos going on, right? These two boats, people scrambling, going around. All of a sudden it dawns on him who he is, he falls down, no doubt, on top of fish in front of Jesus' feet. And he figured out that Jesus is not just some wise teacher, but there's something going on here. That Jesus either commands fish or he has a knowledge of nature that only God would know. 
it's starting to dawn on him who he is. He knows that in the very least, he's in the presence of a representative of God. And it freaks him out. He suddenly realizes here was the Lord of fish and fishermen. Here was the Lord of nature, the Lord of men and their daily work. And Simon feels totally inadequate to be there. He is in the deep end. And he wants to leave. He may also have realized that maybe this knowledge that he is gleaning is going to cause him to do, have to do something. That his knowledge of who is standing in his boat may cause him, Simon, to have to do something. He may have to walk away from something. He may have to give up something. And notice he says, depart from me. He has no interest in using Jesus' power for his own benefit. Right? I mean, if if you're a fisherman and you get this tremendous windfall, imagine he's standing out there, he's had no luck all night, the biggest catch ever, right, comes into his boat, he could have very well said, awesome, Jesus, awesome, you are the best guide ever. What are you doing on Tuesday? We should do this every week. I would only have to go out once or twice a month. This would be awesome. But he doesn't do that. He says, depart from me. Which I think is a test of his humility. Now, it may seem like a weird response to those of us that that know who Jesus is, but at the time, it was a very, very understandable response. To say, depart from me, would be a very common response for a Jew because that's what they were taught. Remember Isaiah in Isaiah 6 where he stands before the throne of God, right? He's high and exalted. And Isaiah doesn't go there and start worshiping him, right? Isaiah's response is, woe to me. I'm in the presence of God. I'm a sinner. I'm in the presence of God. It is time to go, right? But he doesn't do that. We can't expect him to have the same understanding of who Jesus is because it hasn't been revealed to him yet. All the teaching they've had up to then would be from the Pharisees who define sinners as someone distant from God and not entitled to be in God's presence. Those of us who follow Jesus, we know that is the place to be for a sinner, is in Jesus' presence, right? We want to be in his presence. We desire to be there. Simon's humility here, though, and his awareness of what sin does does not disqualify him for service to Jesus. It's a prerequisite for service to Jesus. And look how quickly he goes from being a fisherman of marginal understanding and faith to a total sold-out man of God. Somebody who's totally sold out to follow Jesus. Just happens in just a matter of moments. Simon uses the term Lord here, which is a recognition of Jesus' sovereignty. It's the first time it's used by anyone in the Bible. He doesn't understand who Jesus is yet, but it's starting to become clear. The reason why we know that he doesn't understand who Jesus is yet, because if he understood that standing there was Simon's Savior, he would fall into his arms. He wouldn't ask him to leave. He would fall into his arms. That's the place for sinners, in Jesus' arms. Jesus' majesty is not a cause for fear for those who choose to follow him. It's just the opposite. It's a sanctuary. You know, and if you're here today and you're not in Jesus' arms, he is waiting for you to do just that, to fall into his arms. If you're here today and you haven't chosen to have Jesus as Lord of your life, he is waiting. 
the, the picture is him standing with outstretched arms and just waiting for you to take a couple baby steps toward him. Just say, God, I don't want to do it on my own anymore. I want to be restored with you. He knew you before you were born and he is standing there with outstretched arms. Imagine the picture when you take a step that you come toward him with tears in your eyes. And he has tears in his eyes because he's been waiting for this your whole life. Today's the day. Today's the day to go to him. Accept what he's done for you. He loves you so much that even everything he knows about you, he knows you better than anybody on earth, he sends his son to die for you in your stead so you're able to be reunited with God the way it was always intended. How beautiful. What a beautiful picture. I want to, don't you want to see somebody fall into Jesus' arms? Oh, how awesome. How awesome. And guess what? We don't want it a tenth as much as God wants it. I didn't die for your sins. You guys didn't die for anybody's sins. He died for you. That's how much he loves you. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So it begins to dawn on everybody who this passenger is. This is somebody special. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. You know, every time that, that the glory of the Lord appears to somebody in the Bible, they have to say, do not be afraid, right? Like an angel appears, everybody says, do not, you know, angels aren't those little naked babies with the wings. It's not those. Angels are big, scary. Anybody that has the presence of the Lord is scary, and they have to say, do not be afraid. Jesus is saying, do not be afraid, because he offers Simon exactly what he needs at that moment. Simon is afraid. Simon needs comfort. Now, Jesus could have said, you know, when they were amazed at that fish, he could have said, you think that's something? Watch this volcano volcano comes out of the lake right if that's what if jesus just wanted to blow him away right and make a point he could have said all right watch this i'm gonna have you know pterodactyls are coming out of the lake now and we're gonna fly around he doesn't do that you know why jesus wasn't just testifying to who he was the awesome power that he is god incarnate he wanted a relationship with simon that's this whole thing is he wanted a relationship with simon that's why he gave him what he needed he gave him comfort just like he wants a relationship with every one of you in here. Do not be afraid. He is waiting for you with outstretched arms. Jesus goes on and tells Simon that his life is about to change. This demonstration about Jesus' power over fish carries over to Jesus' power over men. And it's not a command to Simon. It's a promise. The phrase catching men is better translated to save men alive. We're saving them from eternal damnation to a proper relationship with God. And for you fishermen out there, this is the first catch and release. First time in history they had a catch and release. You're catching somebody for the gospel to be released from the bondage of sin. Any fishermen out there can I have an amen. All right, there's not many fishermen out there today. And when they brought their boats to land they left everything and followed him these men are all in they're all in they pull their boats to shore remember these boats with this huge catch big win it's like winning the lottery right they get this huge catch this represents money to them this represents money to them and their families they pull it in it's their livelihood that they're getting ready to, ready to walk away from these guys are small businessmen 
They're ready to leave their families and their friends and their home, the village they live in. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how long they're going. They really don't know what even they're going to be doing. But they're going to follow him. This is the last day these guys are going to spend exclusively as fishermen. They'll return to fishing for a time, but their profession will no longer be their main priority. Their new call to ministry transcends their previous vocation. I wonder how many of us, if we were blessed financially, this powerfully, this immediately, this overwhelmingly, would be willing to drop it right then and follow Jesus. I wonder how many of us would be tempted to say, well, we got it going on now. Maybe we don't want to mess this. And imagine if they said to him, all right, we'll come, but we're going to drag that boat with us. Right? We want to follow you across the desert, but we're just going to throw a couple of nets in there and a little bit of line, and we're going to drag this boat following you across the desert. Now, these guys were all in. By the way, this passage does not teach that we're all to be in full-time ministry. No, no, no. That would be a very inefficient way to get out the gospel. God puts you where he puts you so that you can influence the people that he puts in your life. Right? We are not all called to be in full-time ministry, but we are all called. Each of us is called to respond to what Jesus has called us to do. If we say that we want to follow Jesus, but we want to leave our lives completely intact, we're lying. If we say that we want to follow Jesus, but we don't want anything in our life to change, if we say we want to follow Jesus because we come on Sunday morning and we are on fire, a couple of us raise our hands even, yeah. or maybe we go to our regroup and we're studying all that kind of stuff, we got all that, but Jesus, I don't want to mess with my work. My work is my area, and this other part's your area, but I'm, I'm all in, except for this part. Or, or I'm all in. I, I am on fire. I go to Revolution. I go to 12, and it's awesome. I go to the retreats and everything. It's really cool. But nobody at school knows I'm a Christian because that's my part. I'm all in over here, but I'm not all in here. Now, if we say that we're truly following Jesus, it's going to affect every aspect of our life. That's the deal. And we're, each of us are held accountable to what we know. Matthew eleven twenty three says, And you, Capernaum, Capernaum was the area where Jesus spent a lot of time teaching and performing miracles. Will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable for you on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. For those of us that have heard the word of God and choose not to act, it is bad times. Everybody in this room has heard the gospel at least once. Today is the day to act. We're all held accountable for what we know. Now, we're all to be fishers of people, right? We're, we're fishermen. Fishermen do not wait for the fish to swim into the school of fishing, right? This is the school of fishing. Some fish are going to make it in here, which is awesome. But we as fishermen are to go to where the fish are, wherever God put us. See, we got a lot of room in Duval. There's a lot of people that need to know Jesus in Duval. We do not have to pack our bags. We don't have to get a passport. 
we can share the gospel right where we are. I'm always surprised when I talk to missionaries and they're really fired up going someplace, you know, that involves a passport and going over water. And they're really enthusiastic what they're going to do there. They're going to share Jesus and they're going to tell people about this and they're raising funds and it's going to be awesome. They're going to have to eat worms and dirt and all this kind of stuff and it's just really awesome. And I go, that is so cool. While you've been waiting to go, have you been sharing Jesus with anybody? And they, well, no, because I'm going to go to the place where I eat worms. Right? Now, we're to be fishermen where, where we are. That's awesome. If you want to go overseas and be a missionary, awesome. God bless you. That is important. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. But there are people going to hell today within the sight of this building. We are all called to fish. You know, it talks about in the Bible about spiritual gifts, and one of the spiritual gifts is evangelism. And I hear people tell me all the time, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And so, you know, that's up to those that have the gift of evangelism. Nope. They're right. There are people that are particularly equipped to evangelize, but everybody is to tell, every Christian is to tell others about Jesus. That's how it works. Just like I may not have the, the gift of giving, but I still tithe, right? You don't get to say, well, I'd like to give, but God did not give me the gift of giving. What are you going to do? You know. He gave me the gift of motorcycles, so fortunately that, that's good, but I don't have to give. Now, everybody here is to be a fisherman. Everybody is to share Jesus where they are, how they can. This type of fishing, by the way, this isn't the cool river runs through it ones, right? It's the, it's the net. It's, it's, it's the, you know, pulling the nets on the boat. It's a really cool analogy for evangelism, I, I think, because it takes preparation, it takes um, teamwork. Success is not guaranteed, it requires labor. So like all of us that are following Jesus Christ today, we should be prepared, right? We should have uh, uh, some kind of understanding of the things of God. Might have a couple of verses, at least the references. You don't have to have the whole verse memorized, but a couple of references in Romans would be good. And everybody in here should have their testimony, Everybody that's decided to follow Jesus today should have their testimony at their disposal where you can tell somebody why you have the faith that you do in less than three minutes. Everybody should have that because God is going to put people in your path where he expects you to share that. And you do not want to miss that opportunity. I was sharing with somebody this week how I missed an opportunity just like that about a week ago. I was uh, meeting a lady for some business not related to church, and it was the perfect opportunity. She was, seemed to be bored, and we had, were waiting around for something, and I had the opportunity to share things of God with her, and I did not do it. And that will haunt me. I may never meet her again. I had the opportunity. I was equipped. I was prepared. I did not listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and missed it. And I pray that one of you guys run into her this week or some other saint. We cannot ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit about the people he puts in our path. This is forever. This is eternity. This is why Jesus leaves us here when we become Christians and he doesn't immediately take us up into heaven. We're to be Christ to everybody within our sphere of influence and even past Jesus does not need people to come alongside him or direct him. He needs faithful followers whom he can direct on how they can best serve him. Again, 
Listen for the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Every day, ask Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Please put somebody in my path. Please give me the boldness. Give me the words. He will be faithful. This story to me really is less, much less a proof of Jesus' divinity and it's more a recording of this test of Simon. Jesus was calling. Would Simon allow Jesus to use a portion of his business? Would he allow him to get in the boat for his ministry? You know, he could have said, look, I'm tired. Get out of my boat. Go stand on a rock, preacher boy. I I don't want to do that. No, Jesus was calling. Would Simon trust Jesus enough to put out into the deep water and risk ridicule and effort? Jesus was calling. Would Simon be humble as he recognized who Jesus was? Jesus was calling. Would Simon leave his comfortable life, all the things he knew, to follow Jesus into who knows what? Jesus was calling. I wonder if Simon would have failed in any of these tests if Christ would have proceeded to the next one. I wonder if on that first time when he said, gets in his boat and he says, hey, can you push me off the shore? And Simon said, no, get out of my boat. If he would have said, I, I got the wrong guy. Luke 16.10a says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. Jesus is calling us. I want you to remember, too, that Simon was not this superhero of faith, right? I relate to Simon because he was a kind of a dim loudmouth, right? It just something resonates with me. Remember, he, he said, I will never leave you, Jesus. These clowns over here may leave you, but I am not going to leave you, Right? Hours later, he denies him before a servant girl, right? Remember in the garden, right? Hothead Simon whips out his his sword and lops the ear off a servant, right? Standing in the way of what Jesus had to do. No, the New Testament is full of Simon's failures. Yet Jesus recognized something in him, right? He gave him a name, right? It's Simon Peter. Peter's the rock. Jesus said, look, I recognize who you are. I know where you've messed up. I'm going to build on that. I'm going to use you. You're going to do great, wonderful, history-changing things for the kingdom because of just your little faith. You're not some superstar. I don't need a superstar. I need somebody who's faithful. God uses sinners. God will use you and I to the extent that we submit to his lordship and his promptings and his callings. We just have to listen. So the question is, is Jesus calling you today? Who do you relate to most in that story? Do you relate to the people that are, that are pushing against Jesus, that are leaning in and you're, you're hearing this thing? Maybe for the first time it's really coming through to you and you're thinking, this is intriguing. I want to know more about that. It's, What he is teaching. This is in a way that I can understand what Jesus wants from me and what he has in store for me. Is that you? Do you want to know more? Maybe you figured out who Jesus is and what he's done for you personally, but you haven't admitted it to Jesus and maybe not even to yourself yet. 
Today is the day. Is Jesus asking you to do something little? Is he asking you to put a yard sign out in your yard, knowing that that's going to identify you to your neighbors that you guys claim to be Christians, right? Like you can't be a secret agent Christian with one of those yard signs, right? So you're going to have to quit throwing the grass clippings in your neighbor's yard or whatever it's going to do. Is he asking you to do that? Is he asking you to go at Duval days and wear a shirt that says you go to redemption and serve, right? Be Jesus with skin under our community who obviously doesn't know who Redemption Church is. Is he asking you to go to somebody at your work, guys, and ask them to come to an event because they wouldn't come to a Sunday morning? Even though they're going to think, hmm, I didn't even know this guy was Christian. Is he asking you to do something little? Is he asking you to serve someplace in the church? Is he asking you to go out and wave on Sunday morning? You cannot believe how impossible it is to get somebody to wave on Sunday morning at the curb, right? I'm pretty good at it. I do like that. Only reason why we do that is because it's amazing how many visitors will come to Redemption Church for the first time and they comment on that. They go, wow, it was so cool. We're out there and there were people waving, right? We, you know, mostly Christians are, are clicky and they don't, they're not welcoming. You got people welcoming at the street, right? It's God asking you to do that. What's he asking you to do? Have you trusted him already with something little? And was he faithful? Did he bless you? Did he bless your trust? Or maybe there's something you're holding back today. Maybe there's something you say you're all in, but there's something you're holding back. What is it? Is it your money or your vanity or your business or your sexuality or your home or your time or your hobby or your status or your vacation? or your skills, maybe it's your dating, or your education, or your friendship, your clothing, your future, your car, your marriage, your leisure, your job, or your retirement. What are you holding back? Is he asking you to put out into the deep? And are you pushing back a little bit? Are you asking him to depart from you because you think that you can't be used in your present state? Or are you afraid of what you see in him? You're getting a glimpse of who he is and what he has in store for you. Are you ready to leave your boat on the beach? I can't answer any of those for you. Jesus can answer any of those. But there's one more that I can't answer. Is Jesus asking you, is he calling you to follow him completely into the unknown? Yes, he is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your trust. Lord, I don't know why you set it up to where you depend on us, your followers, to help you with your ministry. But I thank you that you trust us in the way we do. And I pray that you will compel everyone here that's decided to follow you to whatever it is you have laid out for them, wherever it is you're calling them, that they would have the courage knowing that, yeah, it's going to be scary, it's going to be a God adventure, but ultimately it's going to be awesome. No matter what, Lord, it's going to be awesome. And Lord, the people in this room that have not surrendered to you, that have not taken that baby step to fall in your arms with tears of joy, 
that they would share with you. I pray they would do that today. That they would just come before you and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've been doing it on my own. I can't anymore. I won't anymore. That's not how you made me. I want to be yours. I want to be in full relationship with who you are. I want to trust you completely. Lord, I lift those people up to you that you would compel them to get into your net. You would compel them into your arms. I see things in Jesus' name. Amen.